Good morning. Look at your neighbor across the aisle from you and holler good morning at them. Good morning. There you go. Now we're awake. We're ready. We're ready. We are. Uh, this is the final uh, message in the letter series that we're doing. We're going to come back. We have a, a new sermon series beginning next week uh, entitled Revision. And revision will start next week, but then following that up, we'll go back through several other books of the Bible and uh, study on some different topics through the other books. Uh, but the letter series is today. This is number four. Uh, we've talked about uh, different uh, churches that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote letters to and how that it applies to the church today. And just grateful for all the writings in the Bible and having the Word of God to live by. This thing's ringing. But if you have your Bibles, let's go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, For the Word of God is living and active. Everybody say living. living. That wasn't very inspiring. I'm looking for a little more inspiring uh, part of that. So everybody say living. And active. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword or double-edged sword. Piercing even to the point of dividing soul from spirit and joints from marrow, it is able to judge the desires and thoughts of the heart. King James says intents of the heart. But as we read this today, and this has been the same uh, text that we've taken throughout the letter series, and today's number four, but... As we read this today, it says, For the word of God is living and active. We repeated that. But then it goes on to say that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. Uh, Cubby loves, loves knives. He's got knives, and he's always packing around a knife. They won't let him bring them to church, thankfully. But he's usually got a knife. Oh, he's probably got one on his person there somewhere. Yep, right there real close. Michelle's got her hand on it, so she's in charge of it until they get out. But uh, he loves knives, and he's got different types of knives. But a double-edged sword is a knife that cuts going both ways. So you can chop this way and come back the other way, it's going to slice that way too. So it's not just a singular uh, going one direction. But this double-edged sword that the writer of Hebrews is telling us, he said it will pierce even to the point of dividing the soul from the spirit. Amen. Dividing the soul from the spirit. And why would, uh, I believe Apostle Paul wrote Hebrews, so why would Paul write down in the Bible, for us to read today, 2,000 years later, about a double-edged sword piercing asunder and dividing the soul from the spirit. What is the difference between the soul and the spirit? Our spirit, man, is what is eternal. Your soul will live forever too, but its place of, or destiny is decided by what you do in the spiritual realm. And we should, oftentimes you'll read through the Bible, it'll tell us to build up your spirit, man. To exhort one another. And when you exhort one another, that's the point where you are encouraging other people in their spirit. Because sometimes we're downtrodden. Amen? Sometimes we're beat down. And we need our spirits uplifted by the encouragement of others. But Paul's saying here that there's a dividing point between the soul and the spirit. So the soul is this. It's your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's what your soul is. So if that is our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions, 
And then there's the opposite side of the, of the pulpit here today is going to be our spirit. Our spirit man. We become alive in Jesus Christ upon the acceptance of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Until that, our spirit man is laying dormant, waiting on Jesus to be injected to bring life to our spirit man. We're born spiritually dead. Amen? By birth. And that's when Jesus goes up to Nicodemus and they say, well, what are you talking about being born again? Born again is spiritual aspect of your personality, your three parts of your being, becoming active or alive. So as we see this, that there's a, div a division, and the Word of God is what divides that. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides the soul from the spirit. Paul is encouraging us to have a separation between the two. And the deal is, what do we build up? What do we invest in? Dusty tells the youth all the time in Albie, they say, garbage in, garbage out. Amen? You listen to the type of music you're listening to, that's what's going to impact your life. They encourage them to listen to Caleb and to, and to Lecrae and different things, you know, and different things that don't have to be the style of music. It's the content of the music. Can somebody say amen? It's important what you pour into your life. So our soul, man, is our mind, our will, and our emotions. So how many's got a problem with your mind? I'll be the first one to raise my hand. My mind thinks thoughts that I don't even want to think. Think about that a minute. Your mind will think thoughts you don't even want to think. Why? Because it's already there. It's a part of who we are. It's our soul. And your mind will cause you to think thoughts. And what do you do in the instance when you think that thought, whether it's lust, whether it's greed, whether it's envy, whether it's strife, whether it's bitterness, or all these different things? What do we do with that when our mind thinks one of those thoughts? The Bible says cast it off. Cast off restraint. All that mind, uh, the soul, trying to do these things and, and play tricks on your mind because it's the, it's the breeding ground of where the devil will get into your life. It's his access point. He will play tricks on your mind. Can somebody say amen? amen. Look at your neighbor and say, I can tell something's wrong with your mind. <laughs> Today was your day to be here. Amen. <laughs> Ryan just looked at Elizabeth. He was afraid to say it. He was scared. If you're scared, say you're scared. <laughs> but our soul is not good. Amen. My mind thinks bad thoughts. What about my will? How many can say I'm strong-willed? In other words, hard-headed will be a good term for that. There's a lot of terms you can use. So a strong-willed person is somebody that's always got to be right. How many enjoys being right or correct, I guess is a better word? So we enjoy it, right? It's our mind, will, and our emotions. So if that's the world we're living in, if we feed that, the word that I'm always around people that's like me, that thinks like me, that I never get challenged by, and we can always just have the same conversation week after week and month after month and year after year, and I'm never challenged, amen, if everybody just thinks like me and I only watch one news channel because that's the one that thinks like me, I don't get outside of my little bubble, that's my will. Because then I can say, well, what I want is this. Amen? That's us as a society. 
So our mind, our will, and what about our emotions? How many can say, I'm just a train wreck? Amen, Pastor? That's, I'm a train wreck. My emotions, they'll take over. Sometimes I'll cry. Sometimes I'm mad. Sometimes I'm glad. And my emotions, I'm like a train wreck in slow motion. Amen? It's just going down the track, and I don't know where I'm going to end up today. It's us. But Paul is telling us here in the book of Hebrews that there should be a dividing Asunder by this two-edged sword, which is the word of God, that would separate our soul from our spirit man. Why is he telling us that? Because the word of God is living. And it's active. It's active. Amen. That the Bible can affect my spirit man. The reason I need to divide off or cut and do away with my soul and enter into this spiritual world and dimension that I'm in is because it affects my spirit man. Amen. I need to cast that off. I need to quit allowing my mind to trick me into doing things that I didn't even want to do. I need to quit being so hard-headed that I won't feel and fulfill the will of God for my life. Amen. I need to quit allowing my emotions to affect the state or the being that I'm in. That's what the Word of God can do for you. Paul is telling us through Hebrews here that if we will take the Word of God and apply it to our life, that it will affect your spirit, man, because it will cast off the things that's holding you back. How many is ready to go forward? I'm ready to march in a new direction where that God's word can affect my life. And spiritually, I'm in tune with God. And humanity can see the effects of what God has done on me. We're a city set up on a hill. Amen. We're the light of the world. Jesus told us that. Why are we sitting in darkness? Why are we allowing our mind, our will, and our emotion to dictate our future whenever God said, I have a plan for you? I know the purpose of your life. What are we going to do with that? What are we going to do when Hebrews tells us that it's possible to do away with that side of us and we can cross a new path into a new direction and live a whole different life, a whole different style of life? It can change everything about us. And as Bethesda today, the letters to the church, and as I think about this, the Apostle Paul writing that, just amazes me that the, that the Apostle Paul is writing here and telling us in Hebrews that the Word of God is living and is active. He's writing about the Old Testament. He's telling the Hebrews about the Old Testament. So even though it is Old Covenant and I can read Genesis, guess what? There's some gory things in Genesis. As I'm reading through Genesis, I can read some things, and I can read them about this individual or that individual, and I can see me in that picture. Come on, somebody. If you're reading about Noah, how many can picture yourself being like Noah? Building your own boat, doing your own thing, because God called you to. And I'm over here, and I'm in divine destiny with God. And I get on that boat, and, and everything's hunky-dory, and everything's good. And then all of a sudden, my son and their daughters, and they come in. My three sons come in one time to see me, and I'm laying drunk, passed out. How many can say, that's your soul? Even though I'm doing the divine will of God. What does that paint a picture for us? That God uses even the broken. Come on, somebody. 
Even the worst in our society, God can use them if we will allow it as a church. So as we're reading this, and Paul is writing it, it's so encouraging to me because it's the Apostle Paul that's writing these words. It's amazing that he could pin that down. The Word of God is living and is active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And to pin those words down but on the behalf of God telling us that the Bible can change your life if we read it, if we study. Paul told Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Reading our Bible is important, church. And I'm not browbeating us, and I'm not telling you that I'm a super saint, that I read more than everybody else. I probably read less than a lot of you. But sometimes it's only one verse. Just one verse can change the course of your life when it applies to you. So yesterday, last night... A young man that I've been working with for a long time, and we don't talk about church. We don't. He knows I'm a pastor, and he calls me preacher man, and he, he knows who I am. I don't hide under a bushel. I, I don't hide the light of God in my life, but I don't force the light out of my life on somebody else either. Amen? I let them live their life, and I'm going to live mine. I just want to be an example. Amen? But I'm thankful that sometimes he, he, he asks me questions about, well, well, how do you got peace? I'm glad to have peace. Amen? So last night he texted me a picture that he was reading his Bible and he, he screenshotted it and sent me a, a picture of what Colossians says, to don't live in sexual immorality, to watch what comes out of your mouth. And it was a good, good little portion of Scripture there in Colossians chapter 3 and he, he texted that to me and I, I wrote these words back. I said, uh, it's, the Apostle Paul's writings are important but they are to be read introspectively. That's a big word for somebody from Lewis County. Amen? And whenever that come out of me, I, I thought, well, I better go find out what that means before I write that down. So I Googled it to make sure what I thought it meant was actually what it meant. Introspectively means to read something through the lens of how it applies to you. How, how does, if I'm going to read the Word of God and I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 4 here, and how does that mean that the Word of God can separate my soul from my spirit? I need to read that for Ben Collier. I don't need to read that for Cindy or for Dolly or, or, or from anybody else in the room. It's, it's for us to read for ourselves because the Word of God applies to us. Amen? So whenever you read your Bible, don't read it for somebody else and read it on somebody else's behalf and think about, well, that applies to so-and-so and, -so and if, oh, I wish she could hear that and I wish she would read it. What about reading it for yourself? Amen. Amen, because whenever it's introspective, it's whenever I begin to inspect my life, I'm going to see pretty quickly that I'm living a lot more in the soulish realm than I am in the spiritual realm. Amen. Whenever I begin to see the Word of God, man, I don't act like that, God. You said that there's fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, happiness, kindness. I, and I don't see that in my life, God. Whenever I introspect that, I need to live differently. Amen. And that's when the Word of God becomes alive and you say, man, I want some joy. Amen. I'm not talking about the circumstance because the circumstance will trick your mind into saying, I've not got any joy. Why? Because my world's a mess right now. But that doesn't matter because the joy that I have is my strength. Amen. And that's the spiritual realm. It'll change the way you think. Paul writing this is amazing to me. Apostle Paul writing that. 
This friend of mine texted me that, and he's been reading all, every church sign he passes. Now he's been screenshotting or taking a picture on his phone, and he texts them to me. Check this sign out. Check that sign out. Guess what? I know that the Word of God, even though it may be in some cliche terms on a church sign, can change somebody's life because it's living and it's active. Can somebody say amen? that the word of God applying to my life has changed my life and who I am. Why? Because God's in it. If you don't believe me, read John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was God and the word was with God. Then later on, I think it's verse 17, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word is Jesus. And Jesus in your life will get you out of your soulish realm into your spiritual realm. This young man, I told him to do it introspectively. I hope and pray that he begins to inspect his life. Why? Because the Word of God will change his life, just like it's changed so many people in this room. Paul, writing this, this is Saul of Tarsus. Grew, grew up a Roman citizen, had some very... Uh, Devout parents that took him every year on trips to Jerusalem. At the age of 12, he had a bar mitzvah. And that's the point where the boy becomes a man. So if your kid's older than 12, they're a man. Uh-oh. Cubby took that to heart. He heard that. That was quicker and powerful and that was active and living, wasn't it? Quickie wasn't, uh, Cubby wasn't listening all morning, and then all of a sudden I say that, and he's like, yep, that's all my man. Go home and go home and tell Bob that. Uh, just go ahead and get that done. Uh, see how it goes for you. But Old Testament Hebrews, they believed that. That at the age of 12 was bar mitzvah when they broke and done all the stuff, the symbolic stuff. It was the point, the threshing point, where I was no longer living under the care of my parents on behalf of my spiritual condition that now it was up to me to decide for myself how I'm going to live my life. The Apostle Paul, he goes to Jerusalem, he sits at the feet of Gamaliel, and he learns about the things of God in the Old Testament. But as the Old Testament was, it was condemning, it wasn't freeing. Jesus came not to tear down the law, but to fulfill the law. Because guess why? Human uh, pe beings could never fulfill all the law of the Old Testament. Jesus was the only one that was sinless without blame. He was spotless, it says. And he, he's the only one that's ever able to conquer that. But he, he, he did that on behalf of us. He lived a sinless life and paid the penalty of sin by the death on the cross on your behalf and on my behalf. Why? Because he loved us while we were yet sinners, the scripture teaches. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that amazing? So the apostle Paul grew up this way. But he grew up condemning because that's what had been done to him. How many knows your upbringing will affect you? Your surroundings will affect you when you're living in the soul realm. You can say, I grew up on the wrong side of the track. My grandpappy lived on the wrong side of the track and just go through life and be stuck in a rut that you'll never get out of or never even try anything different because it's always been that way and we just accept it as normal and everybody else is wrong and I'm the only one right. Amen? That's what the Apostle Paul was. He was Saul of Tarsus. 
But later in life, Jesus came. Jesus dies on the cross. Jesus is buried in the tomb. Jesus resurrects from the dead. Jesus has all these 12 disciples that begins to birth this thing called a church that they had never even heard of before. And as the word church begins to get thrown out there, and they're, they're giving these igthus signs of the fish, and, and they're going out with this menorah thing, and they've got the candlestick and all that going, and, and they've got all this stuff happening, and churches are growing, and, and people are coming to Jerusalem and saying, man, it's liberating to know that I don't have to be the sinless person but God sent his son as the sinless person and pay my debt and it's liberating for people and the church is birthed. Shauna's getting ready to have a baby tomorrow. Tomorrow's the day. There's going to be a birth. So let's look at it from this baby's perspective. That it's symbolic. The church is birthed into the world. It's never heard of it. And next thing you know, the Apostle Paul, because he's living in the soulish realm, it, he inflicts pain on the new birth of the church. He even goes one time to Stephen, who is a, a prophet through the, through the church, and he's there, and he's, he's saying these things, and he's, he's, he's proclaiming things. Saul don't like it very much, so he goes and gets him, and he gets the guards around him, and they take him out to the edge of the town, and they try to get him to re resent, repent and back up and take away some of the things he said. Stephen won't do it. Stephen won't back down. Stephen stands there and begins to tell them how they're wrong because Jesus is the Son of God. They don't like it very much because it don't meet their criteria, so they stand there with rocks in their hands, and they throw them and they beat this guy to death with stones. And Paul allows it. So he's inflicting pain on a baby known as the church. How many don't like that very much? How many's got a problem with child abuse? Amen? Hopefully all of us. But that's what it is symbolically that Paul, Saul of Tarsus, is kicking this newborn baby that God has delivered so it's God's baby. The church ain't mine. The church is not yours. The church is God's. Amen? So look at it from that perspective that it's brand new. It's a newborn baby. It's never existed before. And God bursts this church out. And next thing you know, humans are over here kicking that baby. That's what Saul was doing. It makes us mad, don't it? I'm sitting here mad myself, and I'm a preacher. I'm trying to talk about love today, but it makes me mad thinking about a person kicking something newly born. Saul does that. Continues to do it. Persecutes the church. Why? Because it ain't what he believes. How many people do we bid on that don't believe like us, but they're part of God's church? Come on, somebody. Well, they go to a different denomination than me. Whoop they do. Amen? If they're God's church, you better not be beating on it. That's God's baby. But the way I look at it in my soulish realm is this. What would I do with Saul if I seen him kicking my baby? He's going to live a hard day, right? I'm going to do what I can do to protect. But God is not like us. 
Ain't you glad? God sitting in heaven looking down, seeing Saul kick his newborn baby, the church. And what does God say? He don't say, I'm just going to kill him. I'm going to do away with him. I'm going to come down on him like rain. He says, I'm going to love him. You know why? Because God's love is unmerited. You don't earn God's love. Because you're a good person and you work at shortstop and you cook good burgers and you sell grippos and you walk up and get them three times when the person's mad at the window and you do it, you're a good employee and all that. It don't matter. God don't love you any more than he does the one that gripes about it. Why? Because God, his love is unmerited. You can't earn it. I'm thankful for that. You know why? Because I'm a pitiful human being in the soul realm. But guess what? I serve a loving God that loves me just like he did Paul, Saul of Tarsus. And what did he do with Saul? Saul, one day he was going to persecute the church. He's on the road to Damascus. You read this in the book of Acts. And he's traveling down the road, and he's just plotting and planning. And he's thinking, man, I can't wait to get to Damascus. I heard they're doing a lot of good at that church over there. And whenever I get there, I'm going to throw them in jail. And I'm going to watch them be stoned. I'm going to watch them be beaten. I'm, I'm going to watch them be stoned means something different than what it does in our terms today, I know. But just to make sure, physical rocks. Sorry, uh, just to make sure that we're talking about the same thing. So as he's doing this, and Paul's plotting and planning along his way, because in soulish realm, your mind, your will, and your emotions is that I'm going to do what I want to do. But all of a sudden, he's on this road, Ernie, and he's traveling along. He's riding on this horse, and he thinks he's doing the right thing. And all of a sudden, a great and shining light shines from heaven. And Saul is blinded in an instant, and he falls off the horse. And what happens? The all-powerful Saul... Lands on the ground and he looks up and he can't see anything other than this vision. And the vision is Jesus. Amen. What do we do when Jesus appears before us? I tell you what you better do is what Saul did. He says, Lord, you better call him Lord when he's standing in front of you. And Jesus appears to him. So all of a sudden this soulish man named Saul becomes Paul in the spiritual world. Changes everything. And I'm just wondering, when Jesus shows up, did he change you? I hope so, because he changed me. He made me a different person than who I used to be. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying that I live in the spiritual world in all dimensions of my life. I live in the soulish realm way too much, Shauna. But I'm ashamed of it and I'm embarrassed by it. And I want to step over into this spiritual realm where God can use me to do the things He wants to do. Amen. Paul changed. Why? Because God got involved. So Paul gets out there and he, he, he begins now and he goes into this city because Jesus tells him, go on into the city and there's going to be a sky come and lay hands on you. And when he lays hand on you, you're going to be able to see again. Amen. I believe that's still possible today. Amen? That if somebody's blind and cannot see, whether it's spiritually or physically, I believe God can heal all manner of disease. Amen? So the next thing you know, Anais comes in, lays hands on you. Anais didn't want to. Why? Anais was part of the church. But guess what? He was in the soulish realm that day and he woke up that morning and the Spirit of God told him, said, go over and lay hands on Saul of Tarsus. Yeah. Are you crazy, Jesus? This is the one that's been killing the church. You want me to go lay hands on him? Are you serious? Just like us. 
Whenever God tells us to go talk to somebody that we don't like very much. Come on, somebody. He will change you to where, and eventually in the high seat, he was in this soulish realm that he was deciding for himself, and all of a sudden he said, you know what, I better quit thinking like that, and I better step over here in the spiritual world, and I better listen to what God says, and I better go lay hands on Paul. Why? Because I don't know what's going to happen, but I trust Jesus. Amen. So when God gives you a mission, accomplish it, church. Step out of your bubble and quit living in this soulish realm and saying, what do I think and what's my desire and what's my will, what's my emotion say? It has nothing to do with that. Jump on over into the spiritual world and say, I'm willing to do what God told me to do. It'll change your life. And it won't only change your life, it'll change everybody else's life. Because Anais had no idea that he was going and laying hands to cause vision to come back to Saul to become Paul that wrote Hebrews chapter 4. The word of God is living, is active, and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces asunder and it gives Pastor Ben a text to come and preach a message 2,000 years later. Had no idea by laying hands on one individual that he didn't like very much that God was going to do great and mighty exploits amongst his people known as Bethesda. Why? Because God's word is active. It's living. And the spiritual world is alive and well today. Why? Because somebody was obedient. The Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. A lot of times God will tell us to do something. We'll say, well, I'll just give an extra five next week and offer and hope somebody else does it. <laughs> go over and do this. Go over and do it. Now nah, I'll just give a little bit more in offering. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Amen. He wants you to do what he's asking you to do. Why? Because he's got a purpose. It don't have to make sense to you. That's the soul. The spirit, it don't make sense. It's amazing, Paul writing that. But Paul goes now and he begins to he begins to go and preach. He begins to go start new churches and plant new churches. He goes on three missionary journeys. How many's ever been on a missionary journey? What? You mean there's what about fifty? I don't fifty people. Nobody been on a missionary journey. Paul was. The guy we was hating a minute ago because he was a, a person that was beating on a baby. Remember when we was making that analogy? We didn't like him very much, but now he's the person going on a missionary journey. And guess what? We sit here comfortably in our seats, and we just come in and do what we want to do. Why? Because we like it. Amen. But he went on missionary journeys. Why? Because he's seen a great big world out there that was going to die and go to hell if somebody didn't say something. If somebody didn't preach. So he said, I'll go. And he takes off and he goes and plants all these churches. And one time in the book of Acts, he's there and he's wanting to go his direction. And Paul, the apostle, even though he's on a missionary journey, he's in the soulish realm. And he says, I want to go this way. But the, it says that a vision came to him. And there was a man from Macedonia that says, come over to us. Come over to us. We need to hear. The people of Macedonia needs to hear. And what does Paul do? He didn't want to. But guess what he does? He wakes up the next morning and said, you know what? I wanted to go this way and do it my way, but God in the middle of the night last night sent this guy to me and appeared to me and told me to come to Macedonia. So he goes to Macedonia. And one of the letters to the churches we're talking about today is Thessalonica, the church at Thessalonica, the Thessalonian church. Paul writes this letter back years later. But Paul goes there and plants a church. And there's people by the droves that come. 
He's persecuted. He's beaten. All kinds of bad things happening, but it doesn't matter about what's happening to me in the physical world. It's the spiritual world that matters. And it doesn't matter. You can chain me up. You can lock me behind bars. You can beat me. You can leave me for dead. I can be shipwrecked. And guess what? The Apostle Paul says, as long as I'm in this spiritual realm, it doesn't matter physically what happens to me. It's hard to get that mindset. Right? It's hard to understand that. But he does. He goes and plants that church. And a few years later, he writes back a letter to the church at Thessalonica. It's what we call 1 Thessalonians. So if you've got your Bibles today, 1 Thessalonians in your New Testament, that was the first book written in the New Testament. Sure, they got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They try to make it somewhat chronological and all that, but it ain't right. The first letters written in the New Testament after Jesus' death was Thessalonians. Paul writes it to the church. Can you imagine being out here pastoring churches, being a missionary, planting, doing what God tells you to do, and all of a sudden you wake up one morning and God says, I need you to write a letter. Well, God, nobody else has wrote a letter. What? Peter, James, John... Bartholomew, all, all the 12 apostles. What, what about them, God? Why, I, I'm this odd man out. I, I was brought in this later on, and they walked with you for three years. They was your disciple. Why, why are they not writing? And he began, I'm sure mentally he began to, in this soulish realm, say, well, I don't know why I ought to write. I'm not qualified to write. It ought to be somebody else. But all of a sudden, the Spirit of God says, I'm not asking them, Paul. I'm asking you. And that's the way it is for us. We look around and say, Brandon can say, well, Pastor Ben, he's more qualified to do that. He, he's been to school for ministry and done this and done that. But if God tells Brandon to do it, it's not Pastor Ben's job. It's Brandon's job. Amen? So we need to get out of this condition where we think everybody else can do something for God's kingdom. God's working on them, allow him to do that. Introspectively say, God, I'm just here. I'm willing. I'm able. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. If there's people in this room today who would say, yes, God, it'll transform our county. It'll transform our region. It'll transform our nation if we'll get out of the soul and get into the spiritual realm. Revival happens when people say, yes, And we're not a church that has revivals. A lot of churches, they'll say, well, okay, we're in revival this weekend. They'll invite a guest speaker. And they'll do, we don't do revivals at Bethesda. You know why? Because I want a real revival. Amen? I don't just want to have a guest speaker come. I don't just want to invite a, 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 some handy-dandy band to come and play music and for us just to feel good. If it's going to be revival, I'll tell you when revival happens. It's when the altars are full of people that will kneel down and pray and say, I am a lost sinner in need of a saving God. That's revival. Amen. It happens right here already. How many people in this room would consider yourself saved five years ago? We're in the midst of a revival and we don't even know it. We baptize people every year. There's not been one year that less than I've pastored since 2010 that we haven't baptized people. That is revival. It's building God's kingdom. It's causing people to say, you know what? Pastor Ben told me this morning that if God tells me to do it, do it. It's the truth. Cubby, you're a man, but you got to answer to Bob. 
and Cindy and Michelle. Paul writing the first words ever in the New Testament. The person that persecuted, that kicked, he was actually a murderer because he had enabled others to kill Stephen according to the law. He was a facilitator of murder. Anybody got a murder for a friend? Anybody think a murder can turn into a Christian and do something different that's never been done and change the course of all history? I'm telling you, that's the type of God we serve. He can take the mess and make it a message. He can take the broken and cause them to be an influence on others if we will read the Word of God introspectively. I believe that. Wholeheartedly, I, as your pastor, believe that today. That Macedonian call changed everything because it caused a letter to be written back later known as Thessalonica, which caused others to begin to say, if Paul's writing letters, guess what I'm going to do? If you're John, the beloved disciple, guess what? If you see letters coming to Thessalonica and you hear about it, well, Paul's writing letters to the churches. Guess what you're going to do? i got a story to tell, too. I was with Jesus three years. I think I'll just go ahead and write a gospel about everything he did. It's called the Gospel of John in your Bible. Then he goes on. He says, you know what? I didn't say everything I need to say there, so I'm going to write first, second, and third John. Then at the end of his days, he's down there in the Isle of Patmos, and he's, he's there, and he's in change, and he's in bondage, and he's breaking up, making little rocks out of big rocks all day, and guess what he does? He's sitting there, and he has this vision, and it's known as the book of Revelation, and he writes it down in a letter to the church. Guess what? Because Paul initially said, yes, God, even though I don't understand. Sometimes we've got to say yes. Friday evening, I was driving down the road, coming home from work, and Leslie called me, or texted me. Said, I'm going over to Portsmouth with Elizabeth and, what's her name? Ashley. I know Ashley a little bit, not very much. I know Leslie and Elizabeth. Leslie, go on home, because she knows how I am. I'm lazy. Is anybody else lazy in here? Oh, come on, raise your hand. There's more lazy people than that. I, go, I like going home sitting on the couch. That's what I enjoy the most after a hard day's work, right, Craig? You work all day, you're mentally exhausted, and you just want to go home and sit on the couch. That's what I want to do. So she texted me and said, go ahead and go on home, and, and if you want to, you can come. I didn't want to. My soulish realm said, go home. Sit on the couch, eat that roast beef that she had the night before, make you a sandwich and eat sour cream and onion chips and eat a, a nutty butter bar and drink a Pepsi. Amen. That's what my, my soulish realm was thinking. If I happened, I was there. I, or mentally, I was already sitting on the couch and I was eating all that stuff. But in the spiritual realm, if we'll just pray in that moment and say, but God, what do you want me to do? Amen. Not what do I want to do. What do you want me to do, God? And I felt like God said, go. And in that instance, i got to be obedient. Or i got to say, well, I'll just give $5 extra and, and somebody else can do something. So I said, yes, God. So I drive over there and I pull in. And when I pull in, I look around. There wasn't a lot of people. But there was people over here, and they had brought a, a school bus in there. This church had opened up the back door and thrown garbage bags, black garbage bags, probably 30 of them, full of clothes. 
And there's about 20 people over in the middle of them clothes. And there's little old ladies and, and there's, there's young kids. And there's all different types of people there. Black, white, Hispanic, every kind of thing in the world. And, and they're there and they're digging through these clothes and they're throwing them over their shoulder. And they, it looks like they're digging for gold. And it's a bunch of used junk clothes. Now, I just sat in the car for a little bit and watched, and then eventually I got out, and I said, I need to go over there. So I go over and stand under the hut to keep my head from getting burnt because I didn't have a hat. And I go over and stand under the hut, and I'm standing there a minute, and Elizabeth's handing out uh, something. I don't even remember what it was, like a, a snacks. She was doing snacks when I first got there. And, and these are little cheese crackers and maybe a, a little small honey bun. And, and I make myself hungry. My, my stomach's growling. Sorry. And, <laughs> And I'm watching this happen, and, and she's over there, and she's doing that, and Leslie's over there, and she's handing out toilet paper. Toilet paper. <laughs> but these people are coming up like, oh, thank you. And they put it in their little bag, got them some cheese crackers and honey buns and, and, and raisins and different stuff that they had, donate, had donated to them, and they're there. And this other little blonde-headed girl, up, Ashley's sister's up front there. What's her name? Kelly, she's over there and she's, she's at this other table and she's handing out these bags that's got deodorant and toothbrush and, and some shampoo and, and these different things in it. And there's one for boys and one for girls. So some of them are adult men that's walking up and getting these little uh, packets that got kid stuff in it. But they're getting it anyway because it's got the shampoo, deodorant and all that. Has anybody ever went without deodorant for a day? About two weeks ago, I left the house and went to work. And somehow I got a routine. I'm pretty good in the groove, Pap. But... That morning, I don't know what got out of sync, but I didn't put on my deodorant. And I was driving up through there, and I hadn't even made it to Ashland yet. And all of a sudden, I started like, uh-oh. <laughs> this is going to be a bad day. <laughs> and I work inside. I'm air conditioned all that, but I still sweat. I'm sweating right now. I'm pouring sweat. But as I'm driving up the road, and I forget that, and I was like, no. But all these people are getting all these packs of stuff, and, this, and then the story begins to come out, and there's people over cooking hot dogs, and they got pop, and they got all this different stuff. And as it's happening, I'm watching, I'm looking around because it's new. I hadn't been there before. How long has it been since you went somewhere new? Since you've done something different? So i got to think about my soulish realm of how I always conduct myself, but God says, no, come over here and let me open your eyes and show you something. So I go over there. Next thing you know, I, I, Elizabeth goes over, and then the mom goes over, and then I end up I'm on the snack counter. So I'm giving these people bags of snacks and all this stuff, and, and they're gathering in the bag, and they're going around getting their daughter and stuff, and then Leslie runs out of toilet paper. Sounds like the house, don't it? <laughs> but eventually this one guy comes up on a wheelchair, and he comes around through there, and he, he rolls up on a, one of the motorized wheelchairs, and he, I, I give him the snacks in a, in a bag, and, and he wheels around, and, and I I think she was gone, Kelly was gone at that moment, and I went over and I gave him his bag of, of deodorant and stuff, and, and, and he's there, and he rolls around, and whenever he gets over the side, I'm, I'm holding all his stuff, and I go to hand it to him, and he said, I, I can't get that. He's got a catheter in that's open, riding in a wheelchair, hunkered down, no shoes on his feet. And Kelly comes over and she says, Hey, guys, there was a pair of shoes over a minute ago. There was a pair of shoes. And they all begin to look, where was the shoes? Somebody must have took the shoes. There was some shoes over here. And she goes over and she digs through the stuff. And she finally eventually finds this guy a pair of shoes. And she gets down. And his feet are pretty crusty. And she takes and puts and slips those shoes on. She ties them up. And she gets up and gives him a hug. And when I lay that down, I have to just lay it in his lap. So he's riding around in his cart. His hair is a mess. 
They got a little hut set up over there, and some guy that's a barber is over there giving free haircuts. He goes over and gets him a fine-looking haircut. And he just meanders around, and by this time, there's hundreds of people there. There's people everywhere. And they're not like me. Greg, they didn't come from a good job. They didn't come from an air-conditioned office that day. There's prostitutes. There's homeless people. And here I stand handing out bags of deodorant. That little man stood around there forever on his cart, and he eventually, after everybody starts meandering around, and their people start leaving, he rows up to Kelly, and he pulls up, and he's looking down at the ground. He won't even look at you because he's just so embarrassed or whatever. He's looking down, and he, he said, I, I just want you to, I want to appreciate you guys for all you've done for us. It hit me like a ton of bricks, Cindy, because I was sitting there and I thought, when was the last time I was thankful for deodorant? When was the last time I was thankful for a toothbrush? When was the last time I was riding around on the street with nowhere to go, not even a pair of shoes on my feet? And I felt like, man, I'm living in the soul world way too much. And God says, won't you step over in my spiritual world and let me show you a whole new thing. Thanks for going, Elizabeth. It, it changed my life. And I've done witness. I've done street ministry. I've done it all. But Friday, it was something switched on the inside of me, and I, I drove home with a whole new attitude. It says, I need to be more grateful. I need to be more thankful. Amen. I need to help more people because I could do a lot more than what I'm doing. And I'm writing letters or teaching a sermon series about letters. So here's what I'm going to do. On the behalf of the people of Bethesda, I'm going to write a letter to this Kelly because she was a girl that was strung out on drugs just a few years ago. <laughs> And one day she was in the soulish realm doing pills. And next thing you know, a New Beginnings church up there in Sawyer County got a hold of her and told her, God can change your life. And she shifted over into the spiritual. And she started with just little bitty things and take it down and give it back to the people that she used to hang out with. And to watch her walk up to a prostitute and give her a big hug and hand her a card and say, if you get in trouble, call me. And I was standing there in that line. What's going through my mind was I've got to watch touching this trash. I'm going to catch something. I'm ashamed of who I am because God is bigger than that church. But the girl that was strung out on drugs is doing more than the pastor of a church of 60, 70, 80 people. Why? Because she said yes. Because she's doing what God told us to do. Visit the widows, the orphans. Visit those without. He said, I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. And I can stand around and tell about what all I think about drug addicts and what all I think about this and that. And here God is over here using them for his glory and for his kingdom. We need our eyes open. Amen.
Paul can become Saul. Saul can become Paul. Stand. I'm sorry I went so long, but ooh. I want everybody here to just bow your head and close your eyes. people in this room today that heard this message and God's got you for this moment he's got you here to hear this message because it applies to you and if you've been sitting here listening introspectively and saying God that's directed at me I know you're talking to me he can change your name in this place today just as he did from Saul to Paul if he changed a murderer he can change you. If he can change a drug addict into a little girl that's up there hugging prostitutes and loving people, he can change you, I promise you. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. I want to ask you this very simple question. How many people here today that say, I've not been living like I should have been living, and this message is for me, and today... I'm glad God opened my eyes because I want to change. Raise your hand if that's you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for those hands. Anybody else? Uplifted hands. Saying, Pastor, that's me. Count me in. Count me in. Thank you. That hand. Anybody else saying, I want to, I want to leave becoming Saul. I'm tired of being me, and I want to be who God's called me to be. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus and to listen, listen to his spiritual direction. If that's you, just lift your hand. Maybe you've never lifted your hand in a church before, but today's the day where you're going to cross over to that chilly Jordan and you're going to become a new Christian, a new person in Jesus Christ. Anybody here? Anybody else? I want everybody here to pray this prayer with me. Everybody say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I'm asking you to forgive me for being me, the selfish person that I am. Help me to be like you, like your son Jesus. Allow me to be free and listen when you speak. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.